You're listening to a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. For more info about Grace, please go to www.graceorange.org. And now, join us as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. All right, good to be with you today. And open up God's Word together. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, this week was a doozy, wasn't it? I'll tell you what, every week's a doozy, but this was a doozy. Fires raging nearby, uh, increasing social and political unrest, uh, not to mention the ongoing struggle that we all have with sin in our own hearts and lives. And you might find yourself confused, impatient, or even less merciful than you want to be. And don't be surprised if you, if you realize that seem, uh, things seem really out of order uh, in your heart and in the world, uh, because they are. <laughs> things are in chaos. Not just the world, but our own hearts And today, we're going to see what happens when people reject God, why the world and our hearts and our homes are so often out of order and in chaos, why people perpetuate evil and practice sinful lifestyles, and what results. So I invite you to stand with me. I'm going to read Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 32, if you're new to grace, Uh, We read our Bibles around here, and even before I preach, we actually stand up to call ourselves attention to the fact that this is God's perfect word that we are reading. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, Faithless, heartless, ruthless. 
though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Lord, we, we come to you as we, we ought to every time we open up your word with fear and trembling, knowing that you are holy and good and right and loving and kind, and that we are sinful, and we are in need of you to, to speak to our hearts, to change our hearts, to, to change us from the inside out. We pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. So here's what happens when you refuse to acknowledge God. The main idea of this passage is that idolatry leads to immorality. That distorted worship leads to distorted ways. And this is a timely sermon, is it not? Uh, just look at the news recently. You've got the recent Las Vegas massacre. You've got the Harvey Weinstein scandal. And so many other things going on, but probably, probably hitting closest to home for all of us is so many people uh, living perpetually in personal sin prisons. Our, the world and our lives are often in chaos, and people do evil acts, and people practice sinful lifestyles, and there are results. We're going through the book of Romans, we're going verse by verse, and Paul started Romans by stating God's gospel goal about the whole thing, that the, the, it's the obedience of faith. He's angling towards the obedience of faith among the nations, that he is saving people from sin's power and sin's penalty and ultimately its presence. And Paul, early on in Romans, tells how much he wants to see and serve God's people in the church in Rome, and it's a beautiful picture of Christian love right off the bat. And he's not just talking to his favorites. He never met this group of people. He wants to bless the whole church. And then you get to verses 16 and 17, the, the, the big golden nugget of truth in the book of Romans, uh, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, and that believers are, are not ashamed of it. They're not to be offended by it or be stingy with it, but they're to to revel really in God's righteousness that is being experienced right now by those he has saved and those he's transforming. But then you, you dive deeper in, into this dicey depravity of humanity, in human, the, 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 the sin in human hearts. And you see that God's wrath is being experienced right now against mankind's unrighteousness. And that God is 100% right in being angry with all who reject him. And that idolatry leads to immorality. And 
distorted worship leads to distorted ways of living. Three times in this passage, you see a phrase, God gave them up. Verse 24, 26, 28. Literally, God handed them over, delivered them to their sin. It is the same word for betray, like when Judas gave Jesus over. Same word that's also used when Jesus let himself be given over uh, to death on a cross for the sins of the world. Here, God gave humans over to what they wanted, what their sins deserved. Psalm 81, verse 12, the psalmist recounts God's words. I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsel. And there's this sort of clear, just, legal, judicial sense to God's dealings with mankind here. It's the idea of a death sentence. God sentences them to what they want. You see this frighteningly realistic downward spiral of depravity and judgment. That God is not just saying, I'm going to ignore you in your sins, but yes, he's saying, you are depraved and I am going to judge you for it. And so God gave them up. And this passage breaks down along that phrase that we see three times. First, he gives them up to detestable desires, verses 24 and 25. Next, to dishonoring passions, verses 26 to 27. And then lastly, to debased minds, verses 28 to 32. And we're going to follow that flow here. God gave them up, first, to detestable desires, uh, verses 24 and 25. Verse 24 begins, therefore, because of what is described in verses 18 through 23, that the wrath of God is revealed as being experienced from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness against, of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God's made it evident to them that he exists and they are without excuse, but they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and insects, reptiles. And so God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Impurity, that means uncleanness. It refers to sexual perversion. He did that to to give them over what they wanted and they would dishonor their bodies among themselves. It's the outflow of failing to worship and honor God. Verse 25 says, since they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and then and, and worshiped and served the, the creature rather than the creator. They were supposed to worship God, but they worshiped his creation. So what you see here is that idolatry is the big sin. Distorted desires spring from distorted worship. And really, verse 25 is restating what was said in verses 21 to 23. Fundamental truth of the universe. God exists and should be worshipped and served. That's the fundamental truth of the universe. And the, the doxology in verse 25, this praise to God is loaded with meaning. It says that they didn't worship the creator who is blessed forever. 
And then there's an amen. This is the truth. This is the way it is. He is blessed forever. Our basic responsibility is to bless God's name, is to praise him, is to worship him, is to honor him. And the basic sin is failure to worship God. Let me illustrate. Let's just say that uh, you are awarded a, a $1 million scholarship to go wherever you want to go to school, and all you need to do is res- uh, to represent the giver appropriately, to represent them well. That's all you need to do. But instead, you squander the money and the opportunity, and you accuse the giver of financial mismanagement. This is what people do with God. It's evident that he exists. They refuse to honor him. They worship his creation. And then they blame and blaspheme God and say it's his fault. In 1857, archaeologists discovered what was thought to be the earliest known artistic uh, depiction of Jesus on the cross. It was in 200 AD. And it's a piece of graffiti carved into plaster. And it represents Jesus hanging on the cross with the body of a man, but the head of a donkey. And a man worships at the foot of the cross, and there's an inscription beneath that says, Alexamenos worships his God. It's a mockery of Christ. This is how the world treats the greatest gift ever from the first century to the 21st. So God gave them up to detestable desires. And in the outworking of that, he gives them up to more of a downward spiral of sin. Because the next thing we see, verses 26 and 27, is that he gives them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 26, for this reason. So because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and because they worshiped and served creation, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, literally disgraceful acts. Their women exchange natural relations. Natural relations indicates what is reserved for marriage between a man and a woman for those that are contrary to nature. Key phrase, contrary to nature, against God's creation. In verse 27, men also gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for each other. Passion there means you want to control and possess another. Men with men committing shameless acts, receiving the due penalty for their error. And what you see here is that homosexuality is a result of idolatry. And by the way, sin's downward spiral is not degrees of bad, okay? It's not, well, it's just getting worse and worse. It's all bad. All sin is detestable to God, and, and it's rooted in a rejection of the, glory, of the glory of God. It's rooted in a failure to honor him where you exchange his glory for idolatry and you exchange his truth for lies. And so God just sentences people to what they want. And here dishonor is contrasted with glory. Those who exchange God's glory and truth exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural. And what we see here is that sexual sin, such as homosexuality, not only homosexuality, is a byproduct of of idolatry. 
Now, Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 is one of the most controversial passages in Scripture today. It hasn't always been the most controversial passage in Scripture. It just happens to be today. Uh, recently, many have tried to suggest that the traditional understanding of these verses is wrong, uh, that it refers to people who act against their own nature or refers only to promiscuous homosexual sex and not to long-term relationships. The modern uh, controversy over homosexuality has led to a reevaluation of and rejection at times of scripture by professing Christians. And so we need to combat false teaching that gives hearty approval for people to sin because you don't want to lead people away from Christ. You want to point them to him. So these objections need to be refuted and rejected. Some, some people will say, well, that was for then, but not for now. Uh, they'll say, well, he was referring to Hellenistic Jewish tradition. Um, yes, the Old Testament law demanded the death penalty for sex between men and, and other things as well. But that's a focus that's theological, not ethical. You don't want to drive a wedge between ethics and theology. Let me just say, uh, ethics spring from our theology. Wrong thoughts of God lead to wrong ways of living. So there's that. And, and then other people will say, well, it's just not loving to tell people that they're doing anything wrong. And many will argue that loving, committed, homosexual relationships can be accepted because, well, God says love one another. And that's twisting scripture. Um, yes, everyone should love one another, but that's in the context. But some people will put greater weight on recent studies on psychology, on human experience, uh, to validate homosexuality as a legitimate lifestyle while ignoring what the Bible says. There's no evidence here that, God, that Paul is going against the truth that homosexuality was sinful. Um, some will say Paul is just limited in his understanding. He doesn't, he didn't get it. We, we're so, you know, uh, progressive today. We've grown so much. Uh, Paul didn't understand the nature of human beings in this individualized uh, psychological sense familiar to us. And then there's what is called trajectory hermeneutics, which is where some people will twist the Bible to the point of saying, actually, Paul was condoning homosexuality here. He was actually saying it was good. Sounds like he's saying it's bad, but he was really saying it was good. And that's just ridiculous. Um, there's one pro-homosexuality Christian website that has a searchable database of 8,210 affirming churches around the world where you can go to those churches and be congratulated for living a homosexual lifestyle. There are four significant American denominations that have fully embraced homosexuality. Uh, that constitutes 10 million people in total. You, you think back to those days, and, and Paul is addressing Gentiles primarily here. He's gonna get to the Jews in chapter two, but everyone's indicted in their sin. But in those days, Gentile sins included homosexual relations between men and boys. And people will say, oh, he's just talking about that. But Paul speaks of males with males. He refers to homosexual acts of women as well, verse 26. Uh, the wording in these two verses is a overall prohibition against homosexuality. Nothing here suggests that Paul has only certain kinds of acts in mind. Um, and, and here's another one. Here's Paul, a Roman citizen, who is traveled, well-traveled, who is cultured, and he would have known there were long-term relationships between same-sex couples existing back then. 
That did not stop him from identifying it as sin and as not God's intention for people. And, and what is written here is authoritative because it's inspired by God. And we're not the ones that should go around changing it to fit the culture of today. The key there is unnatural relations. It's literally against nature. And verse 27 gives three ways why it's unnatural. Number one, forsaking sexual relationships with women. Men are forsaking what is God had in, intended. Uh, uh, number two, they burned in desire for other men. And number three, they did what was shameful with other men. And verse 27 clarifies what is unnatural in same-sex relations. And he, he uses an argument from creation. The words that are used here, female and male, rather than woman and man. He's drawing on the Genesis creation account. He's literally using the same words that are used in Genesis 1.27. And the words emphasize the sexual distinctiveness of male and female. Suggests that sexual relations with the same sex violate the distinctions that God intended in creating man and woman. And so what you see very clearly here is Paul rejects homosexuality as contrary to the created order because God does. This morning I was talking to Angela and I said, as a pastor, I never dreamt that I would be trying to convince Christians that homosexuality is a sin. Let me illustrate this a little bit too. In 2013, Time Magazine ran a cover story on homosexuality. It featured a same-sex couple kissing on the cover. In fact, they, had, they ran two covers. One with two men, one with two women. And the, the title there and the claim was, the battle has already been won. It, it's over. It was blatant. It was in your face. It, it, and, and what happens as a result is many Christians are either afraid to speak about it because they, they're afraid of what people are going to say about them, or they've actually bought into some lies that have been really force-fed to us over many years. The truth of the matter is every single person deals with sin and propensities to sin. Every person deals with choices, feelings, uh, tendencies, propensities to sin, but this doesn't give us license to celebrate our sin and condone our sin. Sadly, this is now public opinion among many, uh, none of us wants to be labeled as hateful or bigoted or closed-minded, which is what you often get if you stand for what the Bible says, even if you mean it lovingly, but you have the wrong look on your face. Um, exhibit A is the response of many professing believers to the recent Nashville statement. Uh, it was written by the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. It was signed by many Christian leaders, including myself. It was meant to clarify for Christians a biblical response. It is loving, it was carefully worded, it was thoroughly biblical, but for some influential Christians, there has been shocking rejection. They have called it tone-deaf, unloving, ill-timed, among other descriptions. And I'm hoping, when I'm, because this statement literally basically is re reiterating what the Bible says, I'm hoping they're not calling the Bible tone-deaf and ill-timed. The Bible is authoritative over all people for all time. There are popular Christian bloggers that are literally insisting that they hate the statement and all it stands for, and in no way can support it. That kind of response would have been simply unheard of 
years ago when most Christian leaders said, this is what the Bible says, we're gonna stand with it. People are abandoning the Bible for another narrative. These verses, these two verses, are, are not open to debate about whether or not homosexual behavior is sin. But what you must remember is that what God is giving us here is in the context of showing that everyone is condemned in sin outside of Christ. That everyone is indicted for their sin. It's a clear statement uh, that homosexuality and other sins are a distortion of God's design for humanity and it stems from a refusal to acknowledge God. Homosexuality is not the only sin that God condemns. It is not the worst sin in the world. God condemns all sin. Here's the good news, that God condemned all our sin at the cross in Christ, which is why we can be so bold in declaring to believers, Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Condemnation is on those who reject Christ. And let me just reiterate, all people are born with an inclination to sin. And certain people have certain propensities to sin. But it doesn't mean, hey, I've got this propensity, I need to be celebrated, condoned, and congratulated. All sin needs to be confessed and repented of. One of my friends said, um, you know, I was born with a desire to steal your stuff. That doesn't give me permission to steal your stuff without consequence. We are all born with propensities to sin. And what are we to do? In Christ, we're to say no to evil desires and do what is right. Obey God's word no matter how you feel. Look at the end of verse 27. That little phrase, uh, the due penalty. People have come up with all sorts of wacky and unloving uh, 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 explanations of what that means. It simply means uh, that the penalty is being handed over being handed over to the sin of homosexuality. Like, the penalty you get for doing that is not something in addition to homosexuality. It's being handed over to that sin. They reject the one true God for idols, so he hands them over to the sin they want. If, if you're not a believer and you're engaging in whatever you're engaging in, God, God's handing you over to what you want. He's not gonna do any you know, violence to your will. You, you, you get what you want. And so God gave them up. Gave them up to detestable desires. Idolatry is the big sin. And dishonoring passions. Homosexuality is the result of idolatry. But then you get to verses 28 to 32. And debased minds. And what it's telling us is all sin is the result of idolatry. Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. They didn't Consider God qualified to be acknowledged. They put God on trial in their minds and decided he did not pass the test. And so God gave them up to a debased mind, an unfit mind, to do what ought not to be done. Homosexuality was encouraged among Gentiles in that day. Jews rejected it as sin because God does. And Jews would have been cheering Paul on. Way to go, Paul. Yeah, you, you get them. And then he indicts them in verses 29 to 31. And then you get on into chapter 2. Look at the list of sins in verses 29 to 31. 
And by the way, whenever there's a list of sins, usually it's because there's a problem in the church that's being addressed, not with this list. This is a wide-ranging description of sin. Paul is saying that all people commit sin in their thoughts, their words, and their deeds. Verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They, They are, that's their identity, full of evil, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are, their identity, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, and so on. 21 things. 21 sins. You you thought this was only about homosexuality. No, it's about all sin. The list of sins is organized into three main parts. First, the participle being filled introduces four words that all end with I-A in Greek. They're general descriptions of human sin. Autokia, unrighteousness. Poneria, wickedness. Pleonexia, covetousness, which by the way is greediness which is an unquenchable desire for more at the expense of hurting others. Kakia, which is wickedness, malice. And and these are all similar words to to strongly say that human beings are wicked. Secondly, five words that deal with being full of something. Envy, murder, strife. Strife is where you argue everything. Deceit is where you're treacherous. Malice is where you think the worst of everything and everyone. Third, you have a list of 12 words or phrases that are in the accusative, and and the first two describe those who destroy other people's reputations. Gossips, that that means you're a whisperer, someone who pours out poison against his neighbor by whispering in someone else's ear about them. And slanderers, those who speak evil against other people. And then the next in the list have to do with the shocking characteristics of evil. Haters of God and insolent, that's a mixture of Cruelty and pride, arrogant, where you put yourself on a pedestal above other people, and braggers, where you point to your self-importance in a rude way, convinced that you're better than others. Two more sins are linked, two word phrases in Greek, inventors of evil and disobedient to parents, and it just shows you how evil man can get. The first relates to people's creativity in doing evil. They invent it while the second one shows the sin that fractures relationships in the home. And rounding out the list is a group of four words. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Faithless means uh, treacherous. You don't keep your word, you're a covenant breaker. Heartless means you have no natural affection, no tenderness, no no feelings towards other people. It's like a a father who abandons his family or children who neglect their aging parents and ruthless, at no mercy at all. And they all begin with the same Greek letter that all of them end in a similar way. It speaks of the economic and social disorder, uh, family and relational breakdown. It is a picture of total depravity, which can be explained like this. Everything we do is not 100% sinful, but nothing we do is 100% untouched by sin. And then verse 32 shows us the heaviness of human sin. Even though they know the ordinance of God that those who do such things deserve death. Gentiles, by the way, don't even have the Mosaic law, but they're aware of the moral requirements it contains, and they know God disapproves, and they deserve the death penalty, but they persistently engage in wicked behavior anyway, and their evil desires 
plunge them even deeper into depravity. And there's the phrase, not only, and then, but also. Not only do they continue to do great evil, they know full well deserve God's death sentence. They, they not only do them, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. They congratulate people who practice sin. They encourage others to sin from a conviction that it's good to tell people to do so, which is far worse than merely individually doing evil. People know right and wrong in their conscience, and this is why you need to understand homosexuality and all these other sins as sin so that you will point people to Jesus and not away from him. Here's Paul's punchline, and it packs a heavy punch. Not only do people do what they know they should not do, but they create a culture where they are accepted and approved. Every time I condone your sin, I make it easier to sin myself. If I create a climate of public opinion that accepts sin, it raises my sin to a new level of wrong. Sure, there are a lot of guilty secrets of which we are all ashamed but when we pursue, pursue and prefer sin above God, we are skating on really thin ice in high-handed rebellion against God. One person said, there's, there's the fact that those who condone and applaud the vicious actions of others are making a deliberate contribution to setting up a public opinion favorable to sin and so to the corruption of an indefinite number of other people. It's like someone who knowingly poisons a whole group of people. If you encourage other people to sin, you are committing greater sin because you cause sin to spread even more and are guilty of causing other people to stumble. And some people hate God so much they're willing to risk future judgment in order to carry out their evil. And there are times we will actually be tempted to say, but they're so nice and kind. That's not our lane to make that judgment call. That's not our lane. God sees the heart. He sees yours, he sees mine, he sees everyone's heart and, and you will know them by their fruits. Because God's anger is rightly revealed on those who practice evil and find their greatest happiness in it. It is not so startling anymore that people want to define what an evil act is. Uh, the, the conclusions that people draw depends on where they're standing and what they're doing. Because no one thinks what they're doing is that bad, but God is totally good and he gets to define what is totally bad. You leave God out of the picture, chaos results, and humanity is left with a huge out of order sign around its neck. Because idolatry leads to immorality and impurity, we see it in our own hearts, we see it in the world, moral chaos is the norm. And distorted views of God lead to impure desires and deeds. It's like a quick-moving brush fire. Sin can overtake you. It's startling how wind change can blow a fire your way. Now just think about all the things going on. Las Vegas murders, political hatchet jobs on both sides of the aisle, uh, closer to home, cherishing evil in our hearts, posting unfiltered ideas unwisely, engaging in guerrilla gossip under the guise of helping others grow, or greedily grabbing as much as we can as if the world is our personal piñata. 
or neglecting to do the good we know is right and in our power to do. Because social distortion springs from theological distortion. And it's like the brush fires. I was looking as I was driving the other day down Santiago Canyon. I was struck by the fact that not every patch in a burned field was burned. There's like green around the burn, but everything's affected. Everything is affected. Uh, and not every aspect of your life might show it clearly, but the swath of destruction that sin, that sin brings and causes is obvious. Everybody smells the smoke. And so God says to humans, okay, here you go. You can have exactly what you want. And that should cause us to weep. It's interesting, you don't see Jesus in this passage. Jesus' name is not in this passage. But he is all over this book. The beautiful gospel truth shines brightest against the backdrop of the ugly evil of human sin. It's just like you appreciate a brilliant diamond more when it's set against a dark backdrop. Uh, you see the glorious gospel truth most clearly against the backdrop of the awfulness of sin. And just remember this, mankind is in the gutter because he wants to be. God isn't ignoring him in the gutter. He rightly judges by giving him what he wants. And this is just you today. I'll just say, God will not leave you in the gutter if you don't want to be in the gutter. But if you want to be in the gutter, you will be in the gutter. See, what God wants is for us to be living the exact opposite of the sins listed in verses 24 to 32. And he, he for believers, inspires and empowers and supports the pursuit of godliness. Because he opens hearts to the gospel so people freely yield their life to him in repentance and faith. And he keeps our hearts tender by his sanctifying spirit and word. And he gives us the Holy Spirit power to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. When everything is out of order, there are three keys that can unlock our quandary. This passage teaches us that idolatry is the big sin. So key number one is cling to Jesus. Cling to Jesus. He never changes. He doesn't shift like a shadow. He is the absolute ruling, sovereign, sinless Savior. He is our shelter in a storm. There's continued to be fires and earthquakes and hurricanes and wars and rumors of wars, or sickness and conflict and fear and worry and death and temptation to sin. You can be assured God is in control. God knows what he's doing, and he wants you to trust him and respond in ways that please him, that you would live soberly and righteously and humbly and obediently as you await Christ's return. Canyon Fire 2 sprung up seemingly without warning on Monday. We got mandatory evacuation orders, as many of you did, around 11.30 a.m., and I didn't leave until 2.30 p.m., and I'm not bragging about that. Uh, many of my neighbors had been through it before, and they said, ah, oh, it's nothing, it's no big deal. So we're watering down our houses, we're talking to each other, and I am scoffing at the idea that the fire may actually get some, anywhere close to us until I saw the fire cresting the hill at the top of my block. And I said to Angela, okay, it's time to go. Pretty soon here. But my attitude towards the fire was out of order. I was like, I'm praying for the people way over there that are affected by this. Steve Lawson said that many have so elevated God's love over his holiness and wrath that if they could, they would outlaw hell as cruel and unusual punishment. Hell is a real place, populated with real people, suffering real agony from real fire. Heed the warning signs. Avoid it at all costs. Trust Jesus. We are all without excuse. And we must take the, the one way of rescue and escape that God gives. 
his saving righteousness that you see in verses 16 and 17. Christ died for our sins, was buried, was raised on the third day. We should be very eager for people to hear that message. If this is the message that God is opening your heart to now, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. From sin's power and penalty and one day its presence, but you will struggle every day of your life with your propensity to sin. Cling to Jesus. Number two, homosexuality is the result of idolatry. That's what this passage teaches us. The only way you sidestep that is if you want to sidestep what God clearly says in his word. But I want you to remember there are 21 other sins listed and this passage does not major on homosexuality, but our culture does. Blatantly paraded as good to be condoned and celebrated rather than be confessed and repented of. So number two, key number two, cling to God's word. Cling to God's word. At any given moment, multiple issues are raging like a fire. There's culture wars crashing head on and lives are being recycled every day. And the pressure to conform will be very intense. It is very intense, and many cave in. But I'm here to tell you there's a fixed compass pointing true north, and it's the word of God, and the word of God stands. Believe it. Speak, speak carefully, though, about homosexuality. Be aware of the pain as well as the evil of those desires. All homosexual desires are an example of distorted desire, but it's not the only distorted desires in the world, as you know. It's just one more terrible result of the fundamental sin of, of idolatry. People who engage in homosexuality are not exceptionally more evil than someone who overeats. So we need to empathetically journey with people through life who are all in the same sin boat and don't condemn people for their sins. But don't celebrate their sin and don't condone their sin. There are no easy answers in this one. There are complex issues at play, but you've got to give biblical answers. You can't explain away the Bible. Our flesh wants to redefine what is sin. At the end of the day, it's about the authority and sufficiency of the word of God. The grass withers, Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. And will we acknowledge God as sovereign Lord of all or not? Will we acknowledge his word as authoritative and binding on our consciences or not? This passage also teaches us that all sin is a result of idolatry. And the list of 21 includes some very commonly accepted sins among professing Christians. May God have mercy on us. Key number three is confess your sins to God. Cling to Jesus, cling to his word, and confess your sins to God. We have real weaselly ways of working around scripture to apply them to other people and not our own hearts. If you read verse 32, or really any of these verses, and you say, that's not me. I don't approve of that evil. Thank God I'm not like them. Then you're living like a Pharisee. You need to confess your own sins. I need to confess my own sins. Paul is talking to a Gentile society and the Holy Spirit's talking to us in this passage. And you know what Paul knew? Paul knew that self-righteous Jews would totally cheer him on. And what, what the Holy Spirit is doing here, he did it back then, he's doing it now, he is drawing out self-righteous pride. 
any feeling that, you know, they are wicked and I'm not like them. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Timothy 1, 10 and 11 says, murderers, sexually immoral, those who practice homosexuality, liars, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God. I want you to notice something in this passage. Go back to verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. It's very easy to say, oh, he's talking about homosexuality. No, he's not right there. He is prohibiting all sex outside of marriage. Verses 26 and 27 prohibits homosexual sex. But verse 24 indicts us all. And it's worth asking, I think. Do I approve of practicing sin? Do I approve of my own? Do I approve of other people? Bring it closer to home. Parents, do you encourage your kids to make idols of their accomplishments? Their grades? Do you turn a blind eye on people's obvious greed? Do you give approval of divorce for unbiblical reasons? Do you allow gossip to go around you unchallenged? You've got to stand for biblical truth and deal with the sin that are, that's in our own heart and life. The call is always for us to repent of our sin. And praise God. I'm going to see this next week, but praise God. His kindness leads us to repentance. And just so we're clear, do not slam people for their sin. Confess yours. Call believers to repentance and obedience. And love unbelievers and speak gospel truth to them as God gives opportunity. Are we clear? Are we clear? Okay, I just want to make sure. Colossians 3, 5 and 6. Put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming on all sin not covered by the blood of Christ. And Lord, thank you that you are Lord. That your word stands and even when we must deal with things that our flesh finds difficult. How we are always faced with the temptation to apply sub-gospel reasoning to explain why we sin. We just want to acknowledge that, yes, things are out of order in our hearts, and only you can make them right. We pray in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.